Welcome to the 18th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. We are your hosts, Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about infrastructure for small shops. Seriously, folks, we want your feedback. We have a Twitter account, at OperationsFM. We also have a discuss forum on the end of the show, at the end of the show notes of these episodes, which you can find by visiting operations.fm slash episode slash 18. If you have any ideas about future topics you'd like to hear about, please let us know. So this week we're talking about how to build infrastructure for the smaller size shops. We're talking about people who have 30 servers, not 3,000. It's, it's a different set of challenges when you have a smaller physical footprint. And part of the challenge is making sure that the decisions that are made early can support you as the organization and the infrastructure grow. So you're not fighting the complexity of the past because, hey, it was easy then, and now you're dealing with, eh, that's, that, that wasn't such a good idea that when, we, when we're down the road a little bit. And key decisions are really what to attack first when you're small. Uh, that's That will grow with you as you get big um, and won't hinder you in the process. And what things to avoid when you're small that you can do when you're larger uh, more more safely. For example, small shops almost never have any reason to run their own email servers. It's just, it's, outsourcing email is one of the better decisions anybody can make at this point if you're not running email for thousands of people because it's inherently complicated. Other people can do it cheaper, better, and faster. And they have all of these security pieces they need to pass the audits and everything else. So, let Google or whoever handle your email hosting, spam filtering, free up your time as an operator and administrator not to deal with that crap. Yeah, if you're not using Google Apps to handle your email, handle your calendaring, um, and do some basic communication email list stuff, that's really basic. It takes a, you know an hour or so to get set up for a new shop, and off you go. You don't have to manage those services. And the prices are quite reasonable um, for Google's hosted stuff. I don't have them in front of me at the moment, but it's not going to break the bank. And having the peace of mind to know that it's handled by professionals who do this every day, all day long, is really a nice thing to have. And for folks that uh, end up sending lots of email or need to uh, set up some specialized email routes, perhaps, uh, depending upon the application that you're you know, making money with, um that is not a perfect fit for for Google Apps. Uh, one of the uh, folks I recommend to folks is Mailgun, which is a service by um, um, oh, it's by Rackspace. There we go. The folks that run Mailgun basically run email service uh, email servers via a REST API. Um, they handle fun routing, spam prevention. They do all the reputation stuff well. Email is is really such an important part to uh, define who your brand is and make sure that your uh, brand has a good communication reputation. That's another good tool to have in your tool bag for who can do email for you really cheaply and free you up to do what you want to be good at rather than than manage the internet reputation of email servers, which is... Yeah, there's an episode right there, Brendan. 
So the before we get into the things that you should be building yourself and understanding as you go, one of the other things that you probably want to outsource without having too much qualms about this is version control tracking. So GitHub or Bitbucket or GitLab or whichever way you want to go with that. Having those repositories on a third party that is secure makes you think about what you're committing to it so you don't put like private keys and stuff into it. Um, but it also means that if you have an absolute disaster at the office, that you still have all of your intellectual property in terms of code and repositories and configuration somewhere else. So you can more quickly recover from catastrophe. There are lots of hosted Git options. Uh, basically use one. Uh, use ones you pay for. Uh, one of the uh, things that I've run into time and time again is that you you sort of get what you pay for. And your intellectual property, whether it's open source or not, um, that is that probably, if you're listening to this podcast, that probably is what your company is. So uh, find a third party there that can host that well. And uh, using Git means whichever developer has it checked out has a backup. So that helps you not lose things and uh, keeps you mindful of how you're building your, your source code as well. Okay, so talking about things that you should be thinking about early, the basic core, core networking services, which is DNS and DHCP, and basic um, directory lookups for hosts and people, which is DNS and LDAP. These are critical to own and understand in the beginning and not let wait too long as the organization grows. Man, I was going to start even earlier than that. Um, uh, having just, uh, a step through some issues that are very similar, um, a, a good part of, of shutting up a small shop is if you're going to be physically located in the building together, uh, you need a physical network. Um, you have to set up a network that provides, uh, ethernet and wireless to your developers, to your sysadmins, to your, to your founders, that actually works. Uh, and that's really while you're moving into the building. Um, the One of the things I've learned is uh, for IT folks like us, when you lease, lease uh, building space for offices, make sure you have Ethernet drops. There's no substitution for Ethernet. And if you do want to use wireless, validate that it's working over a long period of time, set up a graphing package or something to actually watch the signal strength. So if there's a lot of contention at two in the afternoon because the next door neighbor does something strange, it doesn't wipe out your ability to use the network. Yeah, try to get to the point where you can realize if there's 112 networks nearby that may cause issues. Um, having that recently happen, that was fun. Um, and one thing to think about is, depending on how much control you have over the uh, network in the office space you're leasing, uh, you probably want to set up some good isolation from your ISP. Uh, the ubiquity of edge routers are really fantastic for setting up a small network. Uh, the ubiquity access points are also really fantastic for doing wireless. Um, I otherwise buy pretty inexpensive switches for Ethernet stuff. Um, but having that 
the level up there is being able to have some isolation from whatever your ISP may do to you. One of the other nice things about the Ubiquity edge routers is if you have multiple offices or you have folks who work from home connecting to a central office, they have a, a relatively reasonable to set up built-in VPN network setup. So you can have, you can give an employee a $50 router and say, okay, plug this into your home network and plug yourself into the, the WAN side of it. And now you can be working on our network without having to deal with all kinds of other stupid and the, those bits of hardware are actually really inexpensive and really affordable um, if you're working from home, even. Um, if uh, you're uh, setting up your small shop from uh, different folks working at home, uh, your challenges there are a little bit different. Um, make sure you uh, have some reasonable policy over what you expect your employees to provide for themselves versus what you provide for them as far as their connectivity. So once you've established your your kind of core network and it's fast enough and latency free enough to get things done, you need to make sure that you get DNS set up correctly early, as well as DHCP to pass out the right services to people so everybody who is on a machine is able to get to all of the other machines the same way. There's none of this, oh, you type in, you know, go dot whatever. It's like, well, yeah, you, you didn't put a search domain in there, so the web server isn't responding correctly, and all we get is the Go links that are just Go slash something. You need to actually have DNS set up the same way for everybody on all interfaces, both VPN and local network, so people can reliably get to the things they're trying to get to. Your internet or DNS is, is really one of those early things that you want to uh, spend some time with and implement or really in the early stages. Um, and even outsourcing that to uh, Route 53 and Amazon uh, and setting up these VPC connections so your uh, networks are appropriately private and appropriately bridged um, are really good things to think about and have some uh, planning for early in the process. There, There's no substitute for DNS. And then the next piece that's that has to be thought about and addressed early is users and groups. Um, this is classically done in LDAP or Active Directory or one of those those kinds of things. So you can grant permissions not to people, but to groups, which means that when people come and people go, it's easy to replicate permission models, it's easy to understand permission models, and it's easy to revoke permissions. So you can say, oh, I need to make sure that all the developers have access to these six servers and this other thing over here. Okay, if a group for developers, you put the developers in there. I know this developer left, which means you remove his account from all of the groups and disable his account. And then he has no access to stuff, but his account still exists, and you can do auditing and other, other pieces there still. If you're doing uh, Unix uh, account provisioning, the fact that you uh, know what account's UUID is, uh, uh, Unix ID is, that ID number is the same on all Docker images and all Unix platforms, uh, is, is really important. Um, LDAP and directory services are, are kind of level two to me. Um, you don't need them to have a working network, but you really want to tackle those when when your shop is young, uh, not when you're big. Because once you've gotten big and realize you don't have a good directory service, uh, uh, pain and suffering lies down that road. I've helped four organizations now try Only? to... Well, 
I've had I've helped four organizations that didn't have a consistent way of doing users and groups across the organization. It was okay. Well, if you're in this department or this school or this whatever, there's this one system. If you're over here, there's a different system. Oh, well, you have a Mac, so you're on this this third system. So you're on the third system, yeah. Oh, but wait, the um, the administrative system has an entirely different concept, and nothing actually overlaps there. Directory services aren't exactly in the simple category. Uh, but they're so supremely important to to get set up early and have some policy around. So if LDAP is sort of a level two service you want to uh, plan and think about and deploy while you're young, uh, I really think configuration management uh, services are also kind of that level two services. Um, if you're successful enough that you're thinking about uh, one of these two pieces, you ought to be thinking about the other Um I know a lot of folks use Puppet for uh, classical service or Chef or similar. Um, I'm more and more a fan of, of Ansible and the orchestration powers that it gives us, um, especially as it helps us better support uh, disposable servers instead of our sort of classical idea of servers that you spin up and last forever. Yeah, um, the, the whole immutable service model has changed a lot of kind of the fundamentals and especially if you're a new shop and you haven't invested heavily in virtualization or other pieces it's a really good idea to look at what what docker and the the immutable process model idea has for you because it makes things a lot easier to manage moving forward it makes the the build pipeline more abstract from a, a specific thing and it makes things more atomic and each piece of it can be fixed and studied and replicated. Yeah, defining a good build pipeline, a deployment pipeline, depending on what your your product is. Um, and I definitely point folks at using Docker for for abstracting that process. I would definitely point folks at uh, using some of the cloud services that are springing up around Docker. Um, Amazon has a container service now. Uh, DigitalOcean, uh, there's Docker Swarm. Uh, these are fantastic tools to get stuff up and running. Um, I've said it before, I will say it again, but who runs servers nowadays? Um, if if you're more concerned about uh, spinning up bare metal, um, I'm I'm going to look at you sideways and ask you some strange questions. Um, you know, at this point, I really think uh, shops that are small uh, really should be in Amazon or or Google's cloud services or in one of those uh, uh, cloud service platforms. I totally agree. There's there's very little reason for especially a small shop that doesn't have specific hardware requirements to own any server class hardware at all. If you get big, I think that changes. But at this point in, in life, start with a cloud and grow. Uh, and it wasn't too long ago where you rented some servers and got big and started moving into the cloud. Um, but that's that's definitely not where folks should start nowadays. Yeah, now you start in the cloud, and when you get big, you start deploying your own cloud. Um, <laughs> your own cloud, yes. Well, I know a lot of larger shops that are they're using Amazon services, they're using Google services, and they're not using Amazon's container service because they want to have control of their destiny for the containers. So they're they're deploying their own container orchestration platforms on top of EC2. And that's yeah, a perfectly viable you, model. 
If but, you follow this this system into when you get big, um, yeah, you're going to be using cloud platforms to build your own cloud. So you have a platform agnostic um, approach. So if you need to have services at Amazon, you know how to spin up your internal cloud there. If you knew, need to have services in SoftLayer, you knew how to spin up a cloud there. Uh, the Google Compute Cloud, Azure, uh, whatever life throws at you and however you need to diversify yourself, you are able to spin up your own cloud there. But yeah, that's a that's a big thing. One of the other things as you're as you're working through your cloud stuff or your container stuff or however you're doing all of this is to keep track of what resources you're using and how much you're spending on those resources. So when a C-level comes to you and says, hey, we have another client coming on and they're going to bring in double our current customer traffic. Can we do it? And you need to be able to say, okay, the, the answer is we can't do it right now. If we spend X dollars, we can have a service that will scale to that point in why amount of time because you know you don't want to be overspending on it now but you want to be able to understand what it takes to get you to larger traffic volumes or, or larger just larger customers quickly yeah thinking about how to grow in terms of, of orders of magnitude uh you want to uh use the kiss principle keep things simple stupid uh and and scale to what your current uh, uh situation is but you want to have the planning in place so uh, when you suddenly have 10x more traffic or 10x more users, uh, it's easy to to start expanding. It's easy to have the answers to what will it take to be 100x the size of what we are now. And this will inform lots of decisions that you try to make about data storage and backup plans and other things. But all of those will be unique to your company as you make these decisions and as you start to try to figure out how you want to grow. The important thing is you've you've thought about it and you've written down the answers of, okay, so if we had 100 times the user traffic today, what would we do other than just panic? Okay, well, it would cost us more on our EC2 bill. It would cost us more on this. It would move things around there. But you have it written down somewhere so other people can read it. And every couple of months you go back to it and say, okay, what is 100 times what, what today looks like is? Write that down. Figure out what that needs to be looking like. Are there cost efficiencies that you didn't you didn't you weren't aware of before that now you can bring to bear to make things easier and cheaper to scale up? And that bit of capacity planning will will point you in the right path for uh, for when you become big or when you grow. Um, successful companies have a plan for uh, what the future will bring and basically what general direction uh, they're going to go in technically, and that's really how you get there and have a reliable thing instead of. Uh, uh, companies that I know that just kind of grasp at straws uh, when when the scaling issues come around. Well, to be fair, a lot of smaller organizations are started by somebody who has a good idea and some technical chops, but they don't have the experience running a, a very large installation. They're they're usually working on the startup side of things, so they're not used to planning. That's for... That's got to be most people, at least. Yeah, they're not used to planning for the crazy, the end game. They're used to the, okay, we need to get from where we are now, which is we don't have anything that we can ship, to we have customers who pay us money or investors that pay us money for customers or however that works. So they're not, people are often not starting these things thinking about what happens when we have 10 million users. They're thinking about how do we get the first 10,000 devices out the door? How do we get the first 10 people to sign up for our app? 
alas, the job of operations. The janitors of the internet. <laughs> janitors of the internet. And it's, it's difficult for folks like us when we step into to a situation like this. We're not always, we're rarely the first people on the ground. Um, there's usually already some of this infrastructure already set up, uh, probably in the wrong order and probably with missing bits. Um, and it's important to sort of step through uh, some of the basics and make sure that you've got those basics covered um, as you, because you're, you're in the startup laying the foundation for what's going to come next. A friend of mine who I've worked for a couple of times now um, actually had the unique opportunity at one point no, many years ago to go start a school of architecture and design for university. And so he was he was there when the building was being built. So he was able to help spec the network out and actually order servers and make sure that the flow of the spaces worked for the labs and everything else that they were doing. So they actually, he actually was able to be there on day zero ordering equipment so things would be started correctly. He's the only person I've ever worked with directly who's ever had that ability. Everybody else has come into an existing situation and tried to make the best of it. Yep. And it's it's so much easier to correct course um, when you're small uh, versus when you're large and realize, wait a minute, we haven't deployed DNS. We're still relying on Etsy hosts. Or our group structure is horribly broken. And I've seen universities that have been around for 30 and 40 years of like doing hardcore Unix and Linux administration work who don't have a good answer to the group model. They just, yeah, we have, we have user accounts and groups are, It's yeah. not an easy question. Uh, directory management, um, directory management's hard. But um, having, having the bits in place um, that you can have a controlled LDAP situation and controlled Unix groups, um, even if, things drastically move and change the fact that you can uh, have control over the groups um, in your organization and can arrange them so they make sense with 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 stuff that goes on on the ground um, i've i've definitely worked with clients that don't have groups that identify their operations folks that identify their developers uh, much less um, individual teams within those groups so I guess my last piece of advice for all of this is when you're choosing technology stacks, try to choose things that there is talent in the market to help support. Because one of the other scaling things that comes up is, okay, the operations team is three people. We need to hire two more right now because we're overloaded. If you need to hire two, if you need to double the, double the size of the operations team right now, A, you have to go find people who know the technology that you're using. And then B, you have to train them on the intricacies of your part that, of how you set up the stack. And so if you're doing MySQL, it's going to be relatively easy to find people who know MySQL to a competent level. If you're doing Cassandra, it's a lot more difficult to find competent people just because there's fewer of them. And they're, they're going to make a higher price in those kinds of things. If you're so, deploying on Amazon's AWS, it's easy to find uh, IT folks with good experience there. Some of the other cloud platforms, the ideas carry, but yeah, sometimes not so much. Or if you've done something like set up OpenStack yourself internally, well, now you have a very large, very capable system that is very complex and hard to teach. So you spend the first three months of a new hire's tenure teaching them 
how OpenStack works instead of saying, okay, this is where we've set up our, our group security policies for AWS and this is how we're operating things. So if you need the technology, you need the technology and you can't get around that. But if you have the ability to choose something that is either simpler to manage and operate or is easier to hire talent for, those are often better choices simply because it allows you to, to grow more quickly. Yeah, it's definitely important to uh, focus your time and talent on what you want to be good at or what you are good at, um, the, the service or product you're selling. Um, other cogs in the wheel uh, should be fairly standard, uh, replaceable, and knowable parts. If you're not a Cassandra shop um, and don't really need Cassandra, then that's if that's not a core competency for you, then that's probably not a a first choice solution for your your database needs. Or if it is a core competency, you have to go all in on it. You have to say, okay, well, all the things we're going to do databases with databases with, that's what we're going to use, and we're not going to let it, let ourselves get into the point where we have MySQL and Postgres and Cassandra and CouchDB and three other things. You have to be able to make decisions. And a couple cloud deep databases. Let's think of a. Uh, uh, Amazon's Dynamo uh, stuff and RDS and yeah, there's there's uh, there's so many options that sometimes the the tyranny of choice comes in and you have to. It's so easy to you pick the easy option right then, right there for that one instance, that one application, and end up with a slew of different uh, data storage and database options that are part of your production um, business. And that's definitely something you want to get your hands around and control. Yeah. And again, another piece of this is as much as I love doing the elk stuff that I do for client right now, if you're a small shop, log management is not something that is probably high on your list of setting up a cluster and running a bunch of machines to handle that. Go to Sumo Logic, go to Datadog, go to any of the other hosted log aggregation platforms because for a small shop, it's going to be cheaper to pay somebody else to do it for you than it is to get the expertise to figure it out yourself. Oh, definitely. There are lots of of options out there for monitoring and analytics and logs that are designed for smaller shops and that work really well and that are inexpensive. They don't always scale sometimes, um, but that's that's part of the of the whole becoming big thing and and realizing there comes a point where you're large enough, you have the volume enough um, that hiring and bringing the talent in-house uh, actually makes economical sense. Yeah, and most of these host solutions do scale. It's just the the dollars scale right along with the, the size. So if you have an infinite amount of money, you can scale to whatever level you need, but most people don't have an infinite amount of money. So that wraps it up for episode 18 of the Practical Operations Podcast. We are your hosts. Brendan Diesendorf. Jack Neely. Thank you for listening, and good night.